Hey guys, quick disclaimer here before the podcast starts. This is a reaction episode to the Browns setting their 53-man roster between Jordan and I last week. We recorded it immediately after, but then had some issues uploading it uh, to Apple and Spotify, courtesy of our podcast player friends. So we still wanted to get this out to you so you could hear our thoughts, but just understand if the timing sounds off, that's why. We'll have plenty more content coming to you on the feed this week, including both a season preview of sorts and also a Chiefs preview uh, specifically. I already got a guest lined up for that too. So really excited. Plenty more to come this week, but just wanted to get this one out to you guys because we did record it. Also, check out Brownstown. The, the podcast Blue Wire is doing it. It's a look back at the last 20 years of the Browns. Peter and Andre not talked about that extensively on the last episode that's up on this feed. So give that a listen as well. It'll get you really, really excited for the uh, – turnaround that this franchise has made uh, ahead of this season. All right, now to the podcast. Blue Wire. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of The Rebuild. I'm Henry Ettinger, joined by Jordan Climac. Jordan, 53 names. We've got them. Officially, we have the Browns 2021 roster, at least for now, to start the season by the (laughs) league-wide cut-down date. There's still maybe more moves here, Jordan, but we at least have 53 guys for now that that will comprise the core of this Browns roster for this season. Yeah, and it's a pretty damn good roster, if I say so uh, myself, Henry. One of the best rosters I've probably seen in my – 27 years on this planet uh i'm just really excited man like you said it's 53 for now but i think that could look different even tomorrow uh it's kind of just that initial 53 that you got to get down to by the deadline today so we'll see what happens with it henry but i I like where things stand right now it definitely will be different uh as as soon as the browns move jacob phillips to ir we talked about it yesterday on the show they had to to put him on the initial 53 in order to give him an opportunity to come back the season if they put him on IR before that that date, then he wouldn't have the opportunity to come back this season. So we'll get into that later on in, in this episode. But Jordan, I think there was a couple of different moves that happened today for the Browns. I wouldn't say anything was a massive shock in terms of how this final 53 shook out. But what stood out to you about what the Browns did today? Were there any surprises, anything that – that you didn't see coming as far as what the Browns did in order to get down to this 53, because last time we talked, they were still in the sixties and they, and they had to cut a few more guys today in order to get down to 53. Yeah. I mean, I don't think there was anything that really surprised me, Henry. I know a lot of people were surprised by the Kadaral Hodge and look, I was on this podcast yesterday telling you that that's likely going to be the move. So I wasn't surprised by that. Wasn't surprised by the fact that they elected to not really go with any special teams guys or just, you know, the specialists, as they call them, other than, of course, Jamie Gillen, uh, Chase McLaughlin, and Charlie Hewitt, the long snapper. Um, those are kind of expected moves, Henry. And then the other thing that was kind of the theme of the day was, if you were an, excuse me, if you were an Andrew Barry draft pick, you made this roster. Essentially, that's what it came down to. And we talked about how that would likely be the case. So I, I don't want to toot our horn too much, Henry, but it, it definitely seems like the Browns kind of, we kind of, you and I kind of had a good feel for how this thing was going to play out. And I think it played out similarly to how we were both expecting. I really was not surprised by anything that happened today. 
I wasn't shocked by any of it. I had, uh, you know, of 51 of the 53 guys uh, written down yesterday uh, that ended up on the team today. We'll get to a couple of the ones that I didn't have, but you mentioned the draft picks. That was one I didn't have. So we can start there. Tony Fields did end up making this team and they did keep seven linebackers in the end. All 15 of Andrew Barry's draft picks the last two years are on this team. Now, granted, most of those are warranted. Right. Like Tony yeah. Fields is probably the only one that that isn't, um, you know, necessarily, uh, you know, he hasn't done a lot on the field. Part of that's not his fault. He, he's been dealing with some injuries and things like that. You know, Togi hasn't been, you know, super flashy from what we've seen from him so far. But given that he was a fourth rounder and pretty well respected in, in the draft, that's not surprising that, that he's on this team either. So. Most of it's warranted, Jordan, which is a good sign as far as the Cleveland Browns front office. But you mentioned Daryl Hodge. I was surprised in the end that, that they didn't keep him. And we talked about it yesterday. The tea leaves pointed that direction. The, the challenge of Demetrius Felton kind of being a pseudo wide receiver in there. He can't really be your traditional third running back, but you want him on this roster because he's going to be such an explosive playmaker. That automatically was going to put either Jarnus Johnson in trouble or Kaderil Hodge, and it ended up being Hodge. I just thought, hey, they might squeeze him in and take less than 10 linemen, but the Browns in the end did not make that choice with Hodge. They, they cut him and then kept the 10 linemen instead. Which, by the way, I think – I don't know where you come out on that, but I, it's a tough pill to swallow because, look, I'm a Kaderil Hodge fan. I absolutely love the guitar celebration, man. I'm going to miss seeing that. But I think keeping the 10 linemen at the end of the day, Henry, probably the right move for this franchise moving forward. I think I'm with you there, Jordan. You have to look at the specific players. And the two linemen that the Browns decided to keep were Blake Hance, a guy that performed pretty admirably when the Browns needed him in the playoffs last year. A guy actually out of Northwestern that I'm pretty familiar with who's been kind of bouncing around from practice squad to practice squad. And then Michael Dunn, who, you know, from people I trust is potentially a future starter uh, at guard in the NFL. You know, the Brandon Thorne uh, from Trench Warfare does a ton of offensive line work. Jake Burns, who you've had on this podcast multiple times, they've been very impressed with what Michael Dunn has, has accomplished in his limited reps. So, those are two guys that the Browns want to keep in the building. And right now it seems like one of them could actually be headed to short-term IR too, which could free up another roster spot. So they're probably only going to actually have nine linemen, but they want to keep those guys and not let the rest of the NFL get a chance at them. And Hodge, $2 million for your sixth receiver is a lot of money. Now, I, as I said yesterday, I thought they could still keep him and potentially only go with nine linemen, but that, you know, they ultimately chose to part ways with Hodge, which Hodge played great in the preseason, but you look at the depth in that receiver room, assuming, you know, they, they can stay healthy. He wasn't going to get on the field a whole lot anyway, especially with how many, you know, reps that Felton was going to take away and how often the Browns are going to use tight ends too. So what do you think that decision came down to more, Henry? Was it more keep the 10 offensive linemen rather than bring back Hodge? Or do you think it was, why are we going to pay a six wide receiver $2 million? Which one do you think it was in, in terms of the Browns? If there was one that they said, Hey, this is the case. 
look, we don't want to pay this guy $2 million. Do you think it was that over the 10 offensive linemen? More so the 10 offensive linemen is what I would okay. say. And then, yeah. and then on top of that, I would say the 10 offensive linemen and the, it also, I think, is going to allow the Browns to end up picking up a fourth tight end. Not sure who that's going to be yet. We can kind of transition there, Jordan. But I think because they're, you know, they're going to send Jacob Phillips to IR on the defensive side of the football. But then on the offensive side of the football, I, I think they're going to send one of those linemen as well who's banged up to the short-term IR. I think in particular, Jake uh, Trotter posited that it's going to be Michael Dunn. It, it, I, I with, think you're right. Yeah, with Michael Dunn, he was the one that was dealing with a back injury. So with that you know, being the case, the Browns then, as you mentioned, I don't think Jordan Franks was the player they wanted to keep as a four tight end, but I think the Browns yeah. might want to keep four tight ends in general. So I think it was more so the linemen and kind of the roster uh, maneuvering that's going to allow the Browns to reach the actual desired kind of personnel numbers that they want on the offensive side of the football. Yeah, and it'll be interesting to see how that plays out, Henry, because I agree with you, too, that like just the personnel sets and knowing the tendencies of Kevin Stefanski and how he likes to operate an offense, I would be shocked if the Browns didn't go out and pick up another tight end. To your point, uh, Jordan Franks, I didn't think he was, you know, he really ever had a shot of making this roster, just being out of practice uh, the couple times that I was out there. And just he had a couple of rough days, man. So I, I didn't see that happening, Henry. I do see someone else being picked up. I'm not familiar enough with the names that have been released today to uh, really kind of give you a name and say like, hey, they might be targeting this guy. They might be targeting that guy. But I agree with you that I do believe that there will be four tight ends in this room at the end of the day. Because as we know, look, Njoku's injury prone. Hooper's missed time. Bryant's missed time. Um, you know, and, and you're going to need healthy bodies in that tight end room. And, and they haven't, you know, the guys in there haven't proven that they've been able to stay healthy. So we'll see how it plays out, Henry. Again, I don't have a name for you right now, but I definitely agree with you that they would probably seems likely they would pick up a fourth tight end here. I, I think so too. I was looking at the fourth tight ends prior to starting the podcast, Jordan, but I'd be lying to the listeners if I said I knew anything <laughs> about these guys. You know, you got yeah. Sean Beyer, uh, the Broncos guy who is a, uh, he went to Iowa. That was the name that stood out the most only because Iowa produces great tight ends. I know absolutely nothing about Sean Beyer, but uh, <laughs> he was uh, the, the, I guess the the name I saw the most on Twitter in terms of like the surprise cuts, but I it didn't seem like it was frankly all that much of a surprise. So it, I don't know who they're going to go with there. The reality is that that fourth tight end is probably not going to play very much as a pass catcher, but they will want them, you know, for blocking purposes, especially in Stefanski's system as an insurance piece to, you know, if a Harrison Bryant goes down, if an Austin Hooper goes down, one of those things where you can have a guy that, that can come in and do some of the, the little things that you need from that position. So I'm not entirely shocked. It's a bummer for Hodge. There's no yeah. doubt. He, you know, he played great in preseason and that part is tough for him because there wasn't a whole lot more he could do, but also I just think at it, there's a numbers game. And as you mentioned at the top, the Browns roster is stacked. So there just wasn't a, a lot of opportunity for him to wiggle his way in there. Yeah. And sadly too, I don't see, like, I've seen a lot of people, like I was like, I, I understand, like I was, I'm bummed out that Kadero Hodge didn't make this team. I am, but I, I saw a lot of people that were like up in arms over this. And, and look, <laughs> at the end of the day, it's a business. The Browns are crowded at, at that wide receiver room. And I was thinking, seeing people like, Oh, well, we'll be able to bring him back. Don't worry. Don't worry. Bring be able to bring him back. I don't think that's going to be the case. 
I think that he has value uh, for two reasons here. He can play wide receiver. I think every single catch he had last year was for a, a first down. And the other thing that plays in that, Henry, he can play special teams. So he's got a spot on any NFL roster for that reason. I think he's too valuable to not make it through the waivers. Uh, I don't think he'll clear waivers in order for the Browns to pick him up again. So I, I do think that we probably have seen the last of Kaderil Hodge here. But look, I, I wish him all the success moving forward. And for those who are up in arms, as much as I like how Hodge played in preseason, the guy in 39 games has 17 receptions. Exactly. He's just not somebody that's going to likely find the field in a, in a bigger role than, than he had in the last couple of years on the Browns. So ultimately, I don't think it's a major move one way or the other. Here's, here's the crazy thing, just to contr- uh, kind of compare and contrast last year's roster to this year's roster. Henry, if going into the week one last year against Baltimore, Kaderil Hodge was listed as your number three wide receiver. Think about that. And he just got cut this year. Well, I mean, that's how that's how much different the roster is in terms of how competitive it's going to be moving forward, that your number three last year got cut this year because he was looked at as probably the sixth wide receiver on the team. Well, and once again, that's a credit also to Andrew Barry for finding a gem in Donovan Peoples-Jones in the sixth round. That's not Felton something too. you can look on. Felton, a, a sixth round pick who's going to make the roster. You saw a lot of even fourth and fifth round picks getting cut today from some of the premier NFL rosters. I saw the Titans, I think, cut their fourth-round pick. I mean, that's what happens when you have a top-end roster. It's hard for these guys to make the team from those later-round picks. So uh, Andrew Berry's found a lot of guys. And then, then, you know, they've also, uh, of course, developed Richard Higgins and, you know, were able to revive his career as well. So there's just – there's no more space for for guys like Daryl Hodge because this is a stacked roster. It's just there's – Players that belong on other teams, just not the Browns team, given how talented this roster is in terms of the overall NFL landscape. Jordan, let's flip to the other side of the football because yeah. that's where there's going. There, we know there's still going to be changes, right? So the the we talked about this yesterday. Porter Gustin and Curtis Weaver getting cut probably meant that there were only going to be three defensive ends on, on this roster for the initial 53, which is just not how it's going to be come the first week in Kansas city. I would be, it can't be. I would be absolutely floored. I didn't think they were going to keep Joe Jackson. I saw some people positing that yesterday uh, after they cut Porter Gustin, but no, he ended up getting cut today. Uh, so they, they only have the three Clowney tech McKinley and miles Garrett. It's not even like those three are all Ironmen by any means. And then they kept five defensive tackles in the end, Sheldon day, the odd man out there. So let's, let's start with that grouping. We already talked a little bit about the surprise with, with Porter Augustine getting cut, but Jordan, what did you think of that decision, number one, to kind of go the waiver route as their fourth guy, presumably speaking here? And then what did you think of the decision about the, the five defensive tackles and leaving off day from that group? Well, the defensive end thing, like I would like to sit here and say like, well, they have a guy in mind, but we know that the Porter Augustine move came yesterday, Henry, right? So it's like, you couldn't really have a guy in mind not knowing what teams were going to do yet, right? Like, I, I think that's plausible to say. So if that's the case, I don't know. Uh, again, I trust Andrew Berry in these situations. I was, I was surprised. I, I really was. I, I think that still looking at this today with all the cuts that came down today, Porter Gustin to me, Henry, might be still the most head-scratching to me that, that I, I just having trouble understanding. Um, look, I get the defensive tackles, right? Keeping five defensive tackles in, you know, Malik Jackson, Billings, 
Elliott, Malik McDowell, and Togi. Like that makes sense because you're unsolidified at that position. You're, you, you know, you didn't probably see as much as you would have liked from, um, you know, from Andrew Billings in, in the preseason. So I, I, I'm not surprised at all with keeping, you know, those five defensive tackles at, at all, Henry. I, I think that Malik McDowell, people are super high on Malik McDowell. Everything that I've heard from him is like, like this guy might be like an all-time diamond in the rough type steal. Um, yeah, so I, I'm not surprised with how this came out. I, I think it was a little bit interesting to see keeping 10 offensive linemen, but only keeping eight defensive linemen, Henry. And, and But I think that comes down to, like you said, I don't think that I see the Browns really playing the waiver wire in terms of offensive linemen. Definitely see them playing the waiver wire for maybe at least at least one defensive lineman, if not two. And I would expect one or, or if there is two of that to be the defensive end position. It's got to be on another. <laughs> yeah. and, and really the decision with the defensive ends was keeping an extra linebacker because like we've yeah. already talked about, Phillips is going to go to the IR. So they, they kept an extra linebacker in Tony Fields, uh, presumably Tony Fields. So you could argue Mac Wilson or somebody else, you know, one of the other linebackers um, just as easily, but they kept all of those guys as a group rather than how, cut one of them and put them to the open market. How interesting is that though, right? For enough for a front office that is so analytically driven to value that linebacking position over that defensive line position in terms of number going on a roster. Again, this is just the initial 53. We might be reading too much into it, but pretty interesting to see that philosophy given everything you know about the analytics. At least that's how I look at it. I'm not shocked by it only because like they, they know their starters at defensive end, right? Like that, that yeah. part's already set in stone. And I think it's a little bit more about the individual players that I don't, I think they saw that they would rather hang on to their draft picks and hope they, you know, uh, take, especially because you don't know who you're, you know, the, the depth pieces are going to be at linebacker. And even, you know, there could be, you know, some potential shuffling for the starters. You'd rather kind of have more bites at the apple. And that's how I look at it. And that's how I look at it with defensive tackle too. It's like, okay, we're a little bit more concerned about these positions. So we'd rather keep more guys around that we think have a shot at potentially being the starter. And at the positions where we've got guys that are established, like defensive end, not as worried about that because you know nobody's going to supplant Miles Garrett and Jadavion Clowney, no matter how you know well they perform, no matter how good Port Augustine could have been in preseason, it wouldn't have really mattered. So that's my my takeaway from it, but I do think you know Phillips will move on. They'll add a defensive end. The name I would throw out there, just as a uh, a Northwestern guy, this is the only reason I'm I'm pretty familiar with this guy is Fadi Adenabo. Uh, you know, a guy at Northwestern wasn't super productive. He was a really highly touted recruit, and uh, and originally chosen Northwestern over Alabama, and then Adenabo actually made the Vikings roster. And, and performed pretty well over the last couple of seasons. He was in then Giants training camp this year, and they released him, which I think I, was a little bit of a surprise. Now, the Browns are 26th in waiver position. Adenabo might not even make it to them, but that's a guy who just maybe he makes it through waivers and the Browns could get him, uh, who's got you know some pretty uh, fantastic athletic traits, which we know the Browns have looked for uh, when they've kind of taken shots on guys. So, that's just one name I'll, I'll throw out there for the Browns. And then for the defensive tackles, you, we talked about Malik McDowell a lot already yesterday. I clearly am high on Malik McDowell. I, I floated yeah. out, could he replace Andrew Billings? But 
I also want to quickly just touch on his backstory too, because we haven't really talked about that. He is, as you mentioned, potentially an ultimate diamond in the rough because he's a guy that hopefully, hopefully has turned his life around from a place where most players would not. He got into pretty severe legal trouble, uh, you know, a combination of, of a drunk driving that involved an ATV. There were some, some conflicts with police. I think there was a stolen car at one point, you know, you, Everybody out there can go read the details. But the end result was he ended up going to jail for 11 months. And Malik McDowell, a guy that, you know, after something like that happens, typically most of those stories in the NFL do not end positively. This seems like, for now, a a positive turnaround for Malik McDowell. So don't know him at all personally. Haven't obviously gotten a chance to spend any time around the team this year. But I do want to acknowledge that as well as a guy who – clearly had some issues, clearly his life was going in the direction, clearly has made some mistakes, and that's not to say those mistakes should be excused. But also, it is something pretty rare to see a guy like that ultimately end up back in the NFL and playing at such a high level uh, at this point. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that. Um, Because I I know that he spent some time in jail, and like really it was like for him, like, look, I, I, football is far from the focus for me. It's like getting my life back on track. I'd like, I know he probably thought at some point that he would never play the game again, Henry. And then to make a 53 man roster, but not just any 53 man roster, a 53 man roster, that's going to be, have Super Bowl aspirations. We've spent the first part of the podcast talking about how loaded this is. And to, to talk to people within the Browns organization and close to the team, everyone speaks highly of Malik McDowell. He's handled himself with nothing but class, nothing but professionalism since he's been here. And I think that played a part in him winning this job, but other than kind of how dominant he was in those two prison games that he did play in Henry, I think he had seven tackles, you know, a sack and a half, three quarterback hits, uh, a couple tackles for loss. Uh, Stefanski basically saying the whole time too, like how strong this guy is. When he talks about Malik McDowell, you always hear the word powerful. Um, so, look, I, I'm rooting for this guy. I root for stories like this, Henry, but I, I'm glad you touched on it because not a lot of people know that Malik McDowell story, but I feel like you're going to get pretty familiar with that name Malik McDowell as we move forward throughout this 2021 Brown season. We'll see. I, I, you know, I certainly think so. Uh, but well, uh, he's he's got a lot of guys in front of him still to climb up in terms of, of the established starters on this team. But there is a pathway for sure. They're not, you know, it's it's not Miles Garrett in front of him. It's important to note too that I believe the Browns were the first call, first team to give Malik McDowell a call. Like, hey, we're we're willing to give you a chance. So for the Browns to be that first team, they I think they saw something in him. And, and and kind of were like, hey, we're that team that can bring him in, help this guy turn his life around, and then have that translate to the football field. And that's exactly what there happened. So, again, Browns were the first team. Andrew Barry saw it, went out and got him. Uh, we'll see how it works out, Henry. Uh, I know the both of us are certainly rooting for him. Absolutely. Absolutely. Jordan, the one other guy that, that you could say that the Browns chose to keep here rather than, you know, rather than the Port Augustans, the Sheldrick Redwines, et cetera, the Elijah Lees, who, who ended up not making this roster, uh, is MJ Stewart. It seemed like A.J. Green, who was a camp standout, surpassed MJ Stewart in terms of that corner rotation. But the Browns did keep uh, six corners in the end on this roster, only four safeties, despite 
you know, Joe Woods's inclination to play a lot of safeties at times. What did you think of that that kind of shakeout as well? Uh, that that they ultimately chose the six corner route rather than you know another defensive tackle, you know, Gustin, who we've already mentioned, or somebody else. I think it comes down to the question marks surrounding Greedy Williams, right? I mean, I I, I know that a lot of um, you know, I saw reports today that like, hey, the Browns hope that both him and Grant Delpit are going to be ready to go. And, and healthy by week one, Kansas City. But I, I think, look, look, if they haven't, both those guys essentially haven't even practiced in two years at this point. So if that's the case, I don't know how you can trust any of them week one in Kansas City. I, I thought it was a little bit interesting, Henry. I, I know I talked about yesterday, uh, MJ Stewart was a guy that I was like, ah, I don't know. I don't know if he's going to make the team or not. You kind of were like, yeah, he's, he's going to make the team in. And he ends up making the team um, the, here's one interesting nugget that I wanted to point out about, uh, Richard LeCount here, uh, kind of stray away from the cornerbacks going to that safety room for a second. I I've talked to some people over the past week, Henry, um, you know, that are around that Brown's beat every single day. And look, everything I've been told is look, don't be surprised and don't be shocked at all. If Richard LeCount is starting at safety for the Browns week one. Um, I, I, I think that this coaching staff is really high on him. He had an incredible uh, preseason, a great training camp. And that's another guy in that defensive uh, backfield that we're not really, uh, you know, haven't really talked a lot about. Um, obviously, the rookie himself, but I mean, he's had moments, Henry. And then you talk about the Grant Delpit injury. Uh, Ronnie Harrison has been in and out. John Johnson's kind of really the only guy that you can sit here right now and say, like, yeah, he's going to be there week one and he's going to be able to contribute. So I wouldn't be. I guess. I guess. Look out for Richard McCount, man. I think he's another guy in that defensive backfield that we're going to be looking at. Like, hmm, didn't expect him to be making plays, but lo and behold, here we are. That makes me a little nervous, to be honest with you, Jordan. It, it and does. Not, it does. And McCount looked fine when he's played. Yeah, yeah. He had that great first preseason game against you know the reserves of the Jaguars, and he's he's been fine, but. What that really tells me is that their word that Grant Delpit is not really, uh, you know, going to, you know, going to be recovered from the Achilles potentially just be healthy in general. So that's really the concern. The safety depth overall, I think, is a concern because that, that's an important point to bring up is it's not only, you know, I, I referenced MJ Stewart versus the other guys, but they also obviously got rid of Sheldrick Redwine mm-hmm. uh, and the other potential safety options that they had in camp there too. I'm a little bit concerned about the safety depth on this team because even John Johnson's been banged up at times. Ronnie Harrison's been banged up at times. So LeCount, it makes sense that he would slide into that starting role potentially because he's most naturally going to, you know, be that center field type of safety that you'd be looking for. But boy, they only have four safeties. And one of those guys is Grant Delpit and the other guys, again, not exactly iron men either. Yeah, look, I'm glad you mentioned the name Sheldrick Redwine because we talked about kind of surprises, and I wasn't, like, shocked that he was cut, Henry. But, look, I can tell you firsthand that this is a guy that was very, very, very respected in that Browns locker room from a social um, kind of justice standpoint and and really kind of a leadership role. I think it was last year that the Browns had, like, a a social justice committee within uh, the locker room, and and Sheldrick Redwine was named one of the – leaders of that committee i mean so that kind of just speaks to how how well respected he was by the peers inside of that locker room i I think he's definitely a candidate for uh 
practice squad guy, Henry, but I, I, I will say that, like, look, other than Port Augustine, Kadero Hodge, obviously, Sheldrick Redwine might be up there with kind of not necessarily a surprise cut, but one that you look at and go kind of just, huh, for a second. You know what I mean? That was kind of a, huh. It wasn't very much of a surprise for me, Jordan, just because on the field, I have just been uh, very disappointed with Sheldrick Redwine. And, and that, um, frankly, MJ Stewart hasn't blown me away all that much either. But, yeah, but Redwine yeah. on the field I, I has had some pretty rough performances. So I, I don't know how you really. I see, here's the thing, though. I would have I would have gone. I would have gone Redwine over MJ Stewart. I, I think I would have made that move if, if I was in control of this roster and making those decisions today. I, again, I probably wouldn't have. That's why I had, you know, Stewart making the team <laughs> yesterday and then, and then it worked out that way. But uh, yeah, it, it, it's, it's a coin flip. I think at the end of the day, you're talking about two, you know, d- defensive back kind of rotational pieces that you're hoping aren't going to see the field. But as we know from last year, sometimes those guys do end up seeing time. So they, these moves are all on the margins uh, and we'll get to one last marginal move. So, you know, the good thing for the Browns is there wasn't any major decisions they had to make, right? Like you saw, you know, the, the quarterback decisions, obviously the, the Patriots releasing Cam Newton. You yeah. saw some other teams, you know, really trying to make some key decisions at starting roles. The Browns really didn't have a lot of those. All of these are pretty much role players who are going to be depth pieces at some point, but really the only starting role that the Browns have to make a decision on here is one that they didn't have the option to make a decision on today. And that's kicker chase McLaughlin, Mm -hmm. the only guy they had left after the Cody Parkey injury. But now, you know, there are some guys that have been released. Nick folk, probably most prominently among them, the lions released both their kickers and Randy Bullock and former Brown Zane Gonzalez so there are some names out there, Jordan. Do you think the Browns, you know, I asked you this question yesterday, but do you think they're going to, you know, take a look at, or better yet, would you take a look at a Nick Folk rather than, than go with Chase McLaughlin at this point? Real quick, Henry, did you see that both Zane Gonzalez and Austin Seibert were cut today? I did see that. Uh, I, yeah. It's funny. I was, I'm reading Warren Sharp's like football preview and he was talking about the Bengals draft and how, they drafted a kicker to replace Austin Seibert. And I was like, yeah, I know. I know Sounds why. about right. <laughs> I was like, I know why. <laughs> I lived through that experience. Yeah. And I was just funny. I saw that. I was like, man, the kicking carousel certainly continues in Cleveland. And it definitely might be heading down a, another street, Henry, because look, I, I would. You, to answer your original question about would you look at another kicker, I would. Um, I think that having – a liability at kicker as the Browns have had for years now, really since Phil Dawson left um, is, could be a detriment to a team that is, it has, you know, Super Bowl aspirations. I really do think the end of the, at the end of the day, when it comes down to some, we know games are decided by points, Henry, if you're missing extra points, you're missing gimme field goals. If you make it inside, inside a certain yard line, you can't attempt a field goal because you don't trust your kicker. That can be detrimental to your team. And I don't, I think there are very few things that can hold this Browns team back. One of them is injury. The other thing could be, I, look, I hate to say it, this might sound ridiculous, but the kicking position could be one of those things that holds us back. And we just don't know what we have in a Chase McLaughlin as it stands right now. I'm going to trust Kevin's fancy. I'm going to trust Andrew Barry, as I think I say on every single podcast that we do, that Chase McLaughlin is the guy. But for me personally, I would look elsewhere at a veteran, someone that's been there, someone that's kicked in big games, someone that's been in the playoffs, someone that's 
hit game winning field goals in the playoffs. Now, I don't necessarily know off the top of my head if Nick Folk has done any of those things that I just laid out. He's a veteran guy that's been on good teams before and been in big moments. And I think a guy like him, I don't see what the harm could be in, in kind of looking at him and, and evaluating the kicking position from the guys that have been released today. I hope they're already on the phone with Nick Folk, personally speaking. You think because, so? Yeah, if you're a team that's you know, not in the playoff hunt that the Browns are, like if you're the Bengals, taking a risk on a younger kicker, sure, like that, that makes mm-hmm. sense because you're trying, like the rest of your roster, trying to find long-term pieces. And it's like, okay, maybe this guy doesn't work out not the end of the world. If he costs us a game, probably not the end of the world for our season, right? But for the Browns, it could make a major difference. That could be the difference between having home field advantage in the playoffs and not having home field advantage in the playoffs. That could be the difference between making the playoffs and not making the playoffs. I don't think it will be, but realistically, that's possible. So a guy like Nick Folk, yeah, is he going to be Justin Tucker? No, but he's been in the league 13 years. I think I saw today he's got 350 career field goal attempts the guy hits you know just about uh what you would think like kind of in the low 80s in terms of his percentage so not spectacular he doesn't have a huge leg he you know he kicks some 50 yarders but not a great percentage there but he's serviceable he's good enough you look at even just his last year in, in new england and he was 26 to 28 on field goals 30 to 33 on extra points right about league average kind of in terms of the distance and the accuracy on both fronts. Not spectacular. He's 36 years old. But would I take him on the Browns roster right now? A hundred percent. Because <laughs> you know what you're getting, at least. And I, Chase McLaughlin could be great, but you just have no idea what you're getting. And I, I just don't feel comfortable with that. And he, and we, we've just been on this bandwagon too long. Here's the other thing, because you, you said it, right? Chase McLaughlin could be great. Yeah, without question, that's a possibility. Does a team like the Browns have a have the time to figure out if Chase McLaughlin can be great? You know what I mean by that? Like I I don't know if a team that needs to win games, needs to win the division, this, that, and the other, can wait to see. Like you said, for so many years the Browns were were terrible. And it was like, okay, it makes sense. Bring in a Zane Gonzalez, bring in an Austin Cyber, bring in a Greg Joseph, see what these guys have. We're not at that spot anymore. I need that position solidified. Not sure if Chase McLaughlin is the guy. I'm not, not sure if we can wait to find out either. That's that's what I, my main thing that I'm getting at here. To me, that's the key point. It's just not a luxury yeah. that the Browns can afford right now, given their standing. So my two cents would be to make a move on Nick Folk. I actually will predict that the Browns will not do that. I think they're going to go into the season with the guy they know and Chase McLaughlin. We'll see. But, but that would be my thought. So, Jordan – now, we can wrap here, as I mentioned, and as we've talked about several times on the podcast, the Browns are going to have to be active in the waiver wire because Jacob Phillips will certainly go to the IR with that torn bicep injury. So they will be adding somebody else. We'll figure out who they're able to add back to the practice squad versus who gets signed elsewhere. So there is some st- still some ancillary things to be sorted out. But for the most part, we've got the Browns 2020 20, 20 21 roster in the books, 53 guys. Now we turn our eyes to Kansas City. Yeah. And look, Henry, like if we can sit here and be like, look, I, did they keep too many offensive linemen? Did they not keep enough defensive linemen? What are they doing at their k- kicker position? 
this, that, and the other. But at the end of the day, this is the best 53-man roster I have seen in my lifetime. So, look, I'm ready to go. You said it's it's time to flip that page to Kansas City. Look, Henry, I'm getting ready to dive into some Chiefs film. I might have to – as much as it pains me to do – I think I'm going to have to – I think this is the week where I finally sit down and rewatch that Kansas City playoff game. I've, I've watched it twice. Watched it twice already, Henry. This might be the week where I sit down and watch it for that third time. After I watched it for the second time, I was like, I can't, can't do this anymore. Because I would see things where it's like, oh, if you just tighten that up, we, we might have won the game. If you did that, we might have won the game. And I, I've got to do it to myself again, man. It, it, we're getting – like you said, it's, it's time to flip that page to Kansas City. Let's go. Maybe you stop Chad Henney on third and 14. You might want to stop. Stop that's, it. That's... I don't want to hear it. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. No, I'm that's sorry. Brian says Stewart, by the way, that's why I didn't want him. <laughs> we're, we're turning the page on that. We're turning the page on that. Uh, we'll, we're off. We're looking ahead to Kansas city, not yes. back at <laughs> Kansas city. So that'll do it for this episode of the rebuild. You can check out all of Jordan's stuff at Jordan underscore climax 20. Of course, he's also on ESPN Cleveland. Uh, afternoons, uh, you know, with Emmett Golden and, uh, and Gerard Cherry, all the boys there. And I'm sure you'll be doing, uh, I, are, you, are you doing, you know, Sunday coverage as well for these games, you know, for week one and beyond? So l- luckily I am not. I, uh, so how it's going to shape out for me is I'm going to be a Monday through Saturday. Everyone gets one day off on the weekend, right? Whether it be Saturday or Sunday, I got the Sundays off for the bronze. I will actually be uh, leading our Ohio State coverage on Saturdays this year. So I'll be and look, Henry, I, I've already my the tickets are already purchased. I will be sitting in the dog pound week one. I will be at the Muni lot before the game and I cannot wait for anything like I've been looking forward to this for like three months. Henry, I, I'm texting my friends in my group chat every single day. Hey, another day closer. Hey, we're two weeks now. Hey, under two weeks now. Like that's that's my, my mindset. I can't think about anything else other than getting that revenge on the Chiefs. But yeah, no, my Sundays will be free, and, I, and I'm very well, excited about it. <laughs> that, that's good for this podcast, uh, and, and also yeah, probably sure. more fun for you is it, as well. Is it, well. though? Because I'm, what if I'm not sober for a lot of these? Because there's a strong possibility. Well, Jordan, <laughs> I would be lying to you if I said I recorded every post-game podcast. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> there, there, there it comes out. <laughs> I actually, I total side note, we're continuing on longer than we should. I actually really don't drink very often during Browns games. I'm too stressed as a fan. It's I like know, one of those yeah. things where like some of my friends will be like, I, you know, I got to have like a good number of beers during the game. I'm like, I can't do that. Like I sit there and I'm so laser focused. Like I forget to even pick up the beer to drink it. Like it's one thing <laughs> if you're going to the beauty lot before the game and all yeah. of those things, like that's a different experience. But when I'm just on my couch, and I've, and, you know, I've got red zone pulled up and all that stuff. And then I've got the Browns game, you know, right in front of me, obviously. I just, I can't, I can't do it. There's too much, there's too much stimulation. So I, I usually just don't actually for the most part, but every once in a while, you you know, you, you got to indulge a little bit. So that will, uh, I'm sure the Browns fans out there probably are not agreeing with me. Yeah, like, <laughs> and, what is this guy talking about? <laughs> yeah. They're like, what? Uh, but <laughs> anyway, uh, where I will be indulging in some beverages, as you mentioned, is college football kicks off this weekend. So I will be at Northwestern yeah. Michigan State. Ohio okay. State, Minnesota is going to be a fun one as well. Yeah. Tons of fun college football games to get into. That's for podcasts other than this one. But Jordan, NFL football will be back soon enough. We've got college football back this weekend. Football's in the air. I, I've been just nonstop consuming podcast videos, all that. Can't wait for it. Until next time, Browns fans, just two words for you. Go Browns.